Hey guys, welcome to the final week of the Journey series. We began this series at the beginning of the summer and we were in the book of Genesis and now we find ourselves in our last installment of this incredible time that we've had all summer long. Here we are in week 10 and we're going to the book of Revelation, the very last book of your Bible, and we're going to look at one more journey that someone took. Now, this series has not been exhaustive. There are many other trips and many other journeys found in the pages of sacred scripture that tell great stories and teach incredible lessons. Remember, this series has been all about these trips that are God-designed that lead to lessons that are God-designed. That's what the series has been all about. Not for us to just observe the trips that people took in the Bible, but to learn from them, to glean spiritual wisdom from them, and hopefully have our lives changed forever so that we're more like Jesus. Well, today we're going to look at one final journey, and it's going to be the journey of a man named John. Now, John was one of the 12 original apostles and disciples, and it is widely uh, known and widely believed that he was the youngest of the disciples. A few special things about John. So you had 12 disciples but then there was what we call the inner three. There was John, Peter, and James. So John was not only one of the 12, he was one of the three. And those three got to see some things and hear some things that the others simply did not. They got to go to the Mount of Transfiguration where they saw Jesus in all of his glory. John, though, was really unique because John, uh, as far as we know, was the only disciple to actually go to the cross and watch Jesus die. From the cross, Jesus gave John the sacred responsibility of taking care of his mother. Uh, John is also, along with Peter, the two disciples that ended up at the empty tomb first. So John, when he wrote his gospel, which is one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, widely considered John is the greatest uh, and the most intimate of those gospels because he just saw things and heard things the others did not. There's more detail in some of the other gospels, but there is a sense of warmth and a sense of intimacy in the gospel of John that is unmatched. So it is that John that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at his journey that he took, but, but not while he was writing his gospel and not while he was with Jesus uh, during his discipleship before the cross and before the resurrection. We're going to look at a trip he took towards the end of his life. You see, John, like all the other apostles, came under intense persecution. And although the details are not clear in Scripture, we have some other historians, Jewish historians, around the time of John that tell us some of the things that happened to him. And Christian tradition tells us uh, that the leader of Rome during the later years of John's life actually tried to have him killed, and the execution didn't go well at all. And because he refused to stop preaching Jesus, he ended up being sent to a penal colony of Rome, and it was known as the Isle of Patmos. Now, the Isle of Patmos is found in the Aegean Sea. And it's this little island, maybe 20 square miles tops, very small. It's desert, it was deserted, and it was a very rocky, craggy environment. It was not hospitable at all. And this is where Romans sent people to just die, to just go out there and rot. And that's where John was sent, to the Isle of Patmos. And it is sometimes on these journeys that are the hardest that we find that God shows up. And that's one thing we're going to learn today as we go to the book of Revelation and we see what John saw while he was on that island. What we're going to find out is sometimes on our darkest and hardest journeys, God shows up the most. Sometimes God teaches us our greatest lessons in our hardest times. And what we're going to find out is one of the greatest moments of John's life. And that's saying a lot because he had had many illustrious spiritual moments 
Again, this is a man that saw Jesus resurrected, saw the miracles, saw the cross. John's about to see something that maybe is one of the most glorious moments in all of history. And he's going to see it in one of his darkest moments. I believe that can be true for you and I as well today. So let's take a trip with John out across the water to the Isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. Let's go and feel the rocks beneath our feet. Hear the crunch of the gravel as our weight is placed upon it. Hear the crash of the waves against the shore. And then let's learn the lesson that God has designed for us on this God-designed trip. Welcome to the final week of Journeys. So let's go to the Word of God now, to the book of Revelation. It is the last book of the Bible, widely uh, uh, credited to John for writing this book. And we obviously, he even tells you that's who he is. So there's really no doubt in who authored this book. And we're going to go to verse 9. So we're going to begin reading there. So again, John has been sentenced to and imprisoned basically on the Isle of Patmos. And it's a dark moment for him. He probably assumes he's going to die and starve to death out there. And it's just going to be a bad end to his life. And instead, Jesus has saved one of the best moments for John for last. One of the great moments in human history is about to take place on that island. So verse 9 says this, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of of Jesus Christ. So right out of the gate, John tells us who he is. He says, I am John, and his audience would have known. He, there's, there's only one of him, and he was famous, and he was beloved. People called him the apostle of love, the way he taught, the way he loved people, but also he was the beloved apostle. People loved John. And what he's going to tell you here is that he wants you to understand this is a testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called Revelation, because God is going to reveal Himself like He does in all the Word of God, but He uniquely reveals Himself to us in the book of Revelation. And this is an incredible moment. So John is telling you, hey, this thing he's about to write to you is all about Jesus, and it's going to happen in one of his darkest moments. Let's now go to verse 10. Let's read Revelation 1, uh, verses 10 and 11. So John is on the island and he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. 
saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So here are these churches, and there's a lot going on there. Let's talk about what we just read. First of all, John tells you that he was in the Spirit. Now what that means is this was not a dream. He's not dreaming. This is not a dream sequence. What happened here is the Holy Spirit of God Himself, He actually supernaturally enabled John to see things. And what we would say is He's going to tear open the veil so that John's going to see into the future. So He's going to let him see things that only God has seen. He's going to see the future. He's going to see the past, the present in ways in more clarity. So He's going to see the past in a more clear way than He had ever seen it before. He's going to see the present in a more clear way than ever. And He's going to see the future in a very clear and powerful way. So this is something that the Holy Spirit did supernaturally for John. It also happened on the Lord's Day. The early church called the Lord's Day Sunday. So it's the day Jesus resurrected from the grave. And that's why we consider Sunday an important day. Now we're certainly not saying at Three Circle that you can't worship God on other days. In fact, we should worship God all the time. But there is a set-apart nature to Sunday. Because it is the day that Jesus raised from the dead. It's resurrection day. So we consider that a very important day. Our live gatherings as a church take place on the Lord's day because it is very important for us to do that. And then it says here, He heard behind Him. So John is caught up in the Spirit. The Spirit of God supernaturally allows him to see and feel and sense things that he had never seen and felt before. And behind him he hears a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now the first, this is the first description we're going to get of Jesus. And what I want you to see today is this, this piece of revelation that we're going to study today on, on John's journey out to the Isle of Patmos is we're going to see that Jesus is going to show up. He's going to show up. And for a lot of you, you're in a dark moment as well. This was dark for John. Don't miss the fact that he's been put on a rocky island to basically die. It's not good. It's not a good situation. And yet here Jesus is going to show up powerfully in a way that John had never seen him before more clearly than ever before in all of His glory. Can I just tell you, Jesus can do this in your life as well. I have watched in my own life some of my darkest moments became some of the most powerful moments of revelation from God, and which simply means God revealed Himself to me in ways that I'd never seen before. I, I, I've been through times where I lost people that I loved and God showed up. And I've been through times where I just didn't know what to do to get through a tough situation. And God showed up and revealed Himself in mighty ways, in ways that I'll never forget. And I want to I wanna encourage those of you joining us right now, wherever you might be, maybe on a back porch, maybe you're in a beautiful place like I am right here with, with, with the stars and, and you're camping somewhere. I don't know where you might be. Hopefully you're by a great fire like we have right here. But, but here's what I do hope for you. I hope that if you're going through a dark time, maybe you're depressed and anxious. Maybe you are facing health crises that are very hard. Maybe you are walking through a, a, a time of great fear and, and anxiety. I don't know what you're going through. But I want you to know that in your darkest moments, Jesus can show up mightily. In your toughest times, Jesus can reveal Himself most clearly. Look for that. John hears this voice behind him in his darkest moment and he says his first description of Jesus is his voice. He says, it's like a trumpet. Now the Bible, throughout the Bible, it uses this idea of the sound of a trumpet. And the sound of a trumpet is such a clear and piercing sound 
that no matter what else is going on, what, uh, what other ambient noise may be going on, a trumpet gets through it. It's why they blew trumpets in battles in the Bible. It's why the Israelites, when they went to battle, they had a trumpet uh, that would always be blown. And why is that? Because a trumpet sound can be heard over all other sounds. It can pierce through. And the beauty of this is that John has a lot of ambient noise in his life right here. He is in prison. He is getting older. The church is under intense persecution at this time. He, uh, According to tradition, he has just had an attempt to, to torture and execute him that didn't go well, so they stuck him on the island. John is not in an easy place. There's a lot of noise. That's true of you and I often. Right now in our world, the noise of the pandemic just won't go away. And, and maybe not just collectively with the pandemic, maybe just in your life, the financial noise, the health noise, the relational noise. You need to hear the voice of God. And John says, if you'll listen here in the book of Revelation, his voice can pierce through like a trumpet. Like nothing can drown out that sound. So he says, I hear this voice and here is what Jesus said to him. He said, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. And then he tells him to write these things down to these churches. Now, what Alpha and Omega is, is the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. What Jesus is saying to John and to all of us is, hey, no matter what else is going on around you, I have the final say. I am the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and I am final. I am everything. Everything comes back to Jesus. The Bible tells us in Colossians that all things have been created by Him and through Him and that He holds all things together. That's who Jesus is. Everything comes back to Jesus. And He is saying, He's saying, this is who I am. I'm the beginning and the end. I am the final word on all things, John. Not the, not the ruler who had you put on the Isle of Patmos. Not all the other things that have gone on in your life. I am the finality. I am the one. And he would say that to us as well. And that's a really good thing to hear. When the trumpet voice of Jesus sounded, he reminded John of who he was and who he is. And then this idea of these churches, there's seven of them, which tells us that that this is not just for these specific churches, it's for the church at large. Seven in the Bible and the book of Revelation is always the number of completion, which means that the, the idea here in a symbolic book like Revelation and an apocalyptic book like Revelation is that that is standing for something. These churches represent all churches. These seven churches are going to represent three circle church, our church, and, and other great and faithful churches of all time. They're not perfect churches. Later in the book of Revelation, there's going to be Things sent, letters sent to all of these churches and often they will be critical. They will be uh, uh, judgmental of these churches, corrective of these churches. But these churches represent all of us. And that's just the opener. Let's see what John sees when he turns around. So let's go to Revelation 1 verses 12 through 13. John turns around to see who it is speaking to him. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. Now let's talk about what he saw. The first thing he sees is he sees seven golden lampstands. And later in what we're going to read, you will see that the Bible actually tells you what this stood for. It stood for the churches. So you've got these lampstands. These would have been stands with a small oil lamp on top of each one. And there's a lot of symbolism going on here. 
And then he says that he sees one like the Son of Man, which was the common reference to Jesus. Jesus himself called himself the Son of Man. He's saying he's the Messiah. He's Jesus. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there's two things going on here that we find out. We find out a lot about Jesus and we find out a lot about the church. And if you're a Christian, you are a part of the church. Three Circle is a local church that's a part of what we call the Big C Church, uh, the global church, okay? And what you see here is you have important information revealed here about both Jesus and the church. And the first thing we see is that the lampstands are what is chosen symbolically in Revelation to represent churches like Three Circle. Why is that? Why choose a lampstand? I'll tell you why. Because churches are meant to be light in a dark world. These seven lampstands were meant to be on fire. They were meant to be glowing with light. What you're going to find out is that some of these lampstands aren't burning as brightly as they should. They're not perfect, much like our churches are not. But our aspirational aim as churches should be to shine the light of Jesus in a dark world. And make no mistake, the book of Revelation is not only going to reveal a glorious Jesus and a church that should be on fire and lighting the world with the light of God, but it also reveals a dark world. We're in a dark world. We're in the in-between of when Jesus came and when He's going to return. And we're on this side of the Garden of Eden. This is a world that is under the curse. This is a world that is full of sin and pain and darkness. And the Bible is clear here in, in Revelation, but not just there, throughout, that people of God should be lights in a dark world. You and I have a light to shine. Jesus said it like this, uh, we should be like a city on a hill. And that we are meant to be lights, not hidden, but seen. That our good works are to shine in the world so that they can see who God is and lead them to the light of God. He has sent us out like lights in a dark world. So the symbolism of lampstands representing the church is just so powerful. That's our job. Our job is to show the world who Jesus is. And if we don't, the world just remains dark. That is why at Three Circle we are so deeply committed to local churches. We believe that every community needs dynamic local churches and it's why we do church planting. We help plant churches that do not have our name on it because we're not here to just franchise the idea of Three Circle Church. We're about all biblical Jesus glorifying churches. So it's why we are helping plant a church in Tennessee right now. We have helped plant churches all over the country and even all over the world. We're a part of uh, church planting in uh, Central America where we want to see in a country there a hundred gospel churches over the next 20 years planted. We partner with incredible networks like the Southern Baptist and also Acts 29 to plant churches all over the world. These are important things dear and near to our heart. We're a part of church planting in the great city of Philadelphia here in the United States, a place that needs local churches. Why? Because we believe churches shine light into darkness. But not just the new ones we're planting and not just the new campuses that we're developing because at a local and regional level, we also plant multi-site campuses which basically are extensions of Three Circle Church in different communities. Why do we do that? Because we believe every community needs vibrant uh, churches who are shining the light of Jesus. That's what churches are supposed to do. But, but I told you that these verses we just read not only tell you about the church, they tell you about Jesus. And what does it say? It says, the one like the Son of Man is among the seven lampstands. He's in the midst of the lampstands. Now what that tells us is what Jesus is up to. Have you ever had someone speak on your behalf and it wasn't accurate? Have you ever had someone tell someone else something about you 
and you wish they wouldn't have done that. You wish you could have spoken for yourself. So when people tell you where they think they can find Jesus, where, where, where's Jesus? Well, He's going to be here. He's going to be there. And there's a big movement in our world to, to try to separate Jesus from churches. Like that churches are bad and all the problems are with churches, but Jesus is great. And you find Jesus out in the deer stand or you find Him when you're on a hike or by a beautiful river. But that's, that's other people saying things about Jesus. And Jesus reveals Himself to us. He doesn't need our help in that. We can't find God on our own. So that is why we have the Bible and it's why we have the book of Revelation. And here in the book of Revelation, one thing Jesus shows us is what He's up to. Where is Jesus? Where is His priority? What is He doing? And the Bible says He's among the lampstands. And what are the lampstands? The church. Make no mistake, my friends. The local church is the priority of Jesus. And through local churches, Jesus provides for the poor and provides for the widow and the orphan. And the gospel is preached and the light is shining in all communities across the world through the local church. Jesus is in the midst of of those lampstands, seven of them, representing all of our churches. That's where Jesus is. So if you want to be close to Jesus, be involved in a local church, imperfect as they are. If you want to, if you want to serve Jesus, serve the local church. If you want to give to what Jesus is all about, then give to the local church. It's why, it's why we believe every community needs a light shining local church. It's why I've committed my life to being a part of leading local churches. Why? Because Jesus is in the midst of the lampstands. And it also reminds us of this because sometimes while the church seems to be under attack at times in our culture, more and more, we can be assured of this. Jesus, watch this, is with us. You know, the last time John saw Jesus on earth is when he ascended into heaven. And he gave the church, the church then and the church now, a mission to go into all the world. You remember what he said? He said, don't be afraid. I am with you to the end of the age. You see, Jesus reassured them then, and He's reassuring all of us now in Revelation. If you want to know where Jesus is, He's with His church. If you want to know what Jesus cares about, He cares about His bride, the church. Let's see what happens next on John's journey. So now let's take a look at the description that John gives. I love this. John is actually going to take his time and describe what he sees. In fact, Jesus told him, I want you to write down what you're seeing. So he describes... Jesus for us. He doesn't have an iPhone to take a quick picture. He and Jesus don't stand there and take a selfie. No, no, this is too powerful of a moment for that. God and all of His wisdom decided that He wanted it written down for us. He wanted this captured in words, in vivid words. And so John tells us, uh, again, in the verses that we just read, in verse 13, he tells us Jesus is among the lampstands and He's clothed down to His feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. So He has this robe on, this garment, and He has this golden band. And what that is, is the outfit for a priest. So the first thing John tells us is Jesus is among His church and He's dressed like a priest. And that is absolutely who He is. The Bible tells us Jesus is our high priest. And our high priest, according to the New Testament, is not aloof. He's not separated from us, but He, has, he knows exactly what we go through. Uh, he, has, he has felt what we feel. He has walked in our shoes. Jesus was even tempted in every way that we are tempted and yet without sin. He is a high priest who loves us and cares for us, empathizes with us. Uh, inter he, he does intercessory prayer for us. 
He stands in our place at the cross, stands between us and heaven with one hand on humanity, one hand on divinity. That, that God, God in Christ reconciling us, He is our high priest, the one and for all time high priest. And then John continues to describe Him for us. Let's go to verse 14 and we'll read there. He says, His head and His hair were like wool as white as snow, and His eyes like a flame of fire. Now let's just stop there. That's verse 14. So this is not white like, like uh, an elderly person's hair turning gray. This white that is described here is a shimmering white, meaning it is like light again. It's like Jesus' uh, hair is on fire, but it's not on fire in a way that it is burning. It is a, it is a shining, bright, explosive type of light. And, and what this symbolizes for us is that Jesus, in a sense, is both very old and very young because He is ageless. The eternal Son of God is ageless. He's been here forever for all time before time began. He is the eternal Son of God, but He is also not aging. He's not tired. He's not, he, he's not withering away here. He is not under the uh, effects of the fall, certainly, and He is not under the effects of uh, aging the way a normal human would be. So Jesus, in this sense, is both young and old. He is ageless. And he is full of fire and full of power. And the Bible says that his eyes are like flames of fire. And this idea, again, this is all symbolic. What John sees is a Jesus who can see all things. This speaks to his uh, omnipotence, his omnipresence, but very specifically his omniscience. Jesus knows everything and sees all things. Meaning that the Bible tells us that no man can see the, the, the heart of another man, that only God can search the heart search even the intentions of the heart. That's what these eyes represent. So one thing we can know about Jesus, that He is among us and with us and for us, and He can see all things. He sees where you are. He's not caught off guard. He can help you see things about yourself through His Spirit and the Word that you can't see on your own. Only Jesus has the eyes of fire piercing all the way down to the very intentions of our heart. And you need to know your enemy Satan does not have that power. So we get this incredible description of Jesus here. And then we go to verse 15. It says this, His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and His voice as the sound of many waters. Let's take a look at these two things. First of all, His feet were like fine brass. That's material uh, that was used in the altar in the temple. This is very symbolic. And what this means is Jesus the high priest also has the authority to be our judge. So Jesus is the judge. He's the one that says what's right and wrong. He's the one that decides that. It is His Word. It is His power. It is His authority. And what this tells us is Jesus is our high priest. He's also the judge, the judge of the world, the judge of the universe. He is the final. That's why He said Alpha and Omega. He is the final say. Hey, listen, the buck stops with Jesus. So His feet are like brass. And again, we get another description of His voice. His voice is the sound of many waters. Now this makes sense because John is on an island where he is listening to this water crash against the craggy rocks. And if you know what that sounds like, it is a powerful sound. Think Niagara Falls. Not one water, but many waters. And that is what John is hearing. He's trying to describe a voice that is both piercing, a trumpet, and it is authoritative. 
See, when I want to really, I, I've coached ball and uh, with my kids and even at my house, sometimes you do have to raise your voice, not screaming, but you have to get more forceful with your voice to get someone's attention sometimes. I have a loud voice because I'm a, I'm a preacher. And when I'm in a crowd and someone's trying to get everyone's attention, often they will say to me, hey, Chris, can you get everyone's attention? Because I'm just loud. Well, John is describing for us a voice that is authoritative. When Jesus speaks, you listen, and it is a loud powerful voice that John is describing for us. This is incredible, this description of Jesus. We're seeing a lot about Him. He's with us. He's for us. He's in charge. He is the authority. He's the judge. He sees all things. This is who Jesus is, the glorified Christ. What an incredible thing. And remember, John sees Jesus in this powerful way in his darkest moment. Are you seeing Jesus clearly like this right now in your darkest moment? Are we collectively as Christians in the church during this dark moment in human history with a pandemic that just won't go away, with racial issues across our culture, with sexuality issues and moral issues all around us, confusion, opinions, anger, bitterness, all these things are going on. Are we seeing Jesus and are we shining like the lights we've been called to shine and be? These are things we can learn from this last journey. Let's see what John tells us next. So now let's go to the last little piece of how John describes Jesus for us in his glorified form. In verse 16, he says, He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now those are three important things. First of all, he has these stars. And most theologians agree that these stars in his hand are the leaders that he anoints and, and, and appoints and puts in place for the churches throughout history. So this means that elders and leaders and pastors and teachers and ministers, uh, the people leading and serving and working in churches, that's the stars. Jesus uses people like tools in the best of ways. He uses people. He calls people out. And, and He does this for His churches. He raises people up. And what an honor. And maybe you're watching this right now and you go, man, I think God is calling me to be a part of that, that picture of the church, that I want to be used by Jesus in that way. That would be an incredible thing. So He has these stars, and that's what that represents. Out of His mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And this is talking about Jesus being the one who can speak truth. A two-edged sword was the ultimate instrument of battle and the instrument of authority in the Scriptures during that time. It cuts both ways. And the Bible tells us that the Word of God is our sword as well. But where does it originate? It is Jesus. It is the very words of God. He reveals Himself. And that's why we should love and cherish the Word of God because it is the Word of Jesus. And it says... It is a reminder that all Scripture, the Bible says about itself, is God-breathed. Of course, the sword representing the Word of God would be coming out of the mouth of Jesus. And then he gives us one more physical look at what he looked like. He said his countenance was shining like the sun in all of its strength. Now listen, have you ever looked at the sun for just a minute? Like when you were a kid, did you ever look real fast? I remember there was a, there was a lunar eclipse or or maybe a solar eclipse. I can't remember which one it was when I was a kid. And, and they were so afraid that we were all going to look right at it. And so uh, we had these little lenses that they got us. This is in the 80s in my elementary school so that we could look up the sky. But they were still so scared that we were going to look at the sun because it could really hurt your eyes. And, and John is trying to get us to understand 
that Jesus was so brilliant with a light like he had never seen. Do you know the Bible says that, that there's no need for a sun in the future, New Jerusalem in the heavens, that when we are in eternity because Jesus himself will light all the world? Isn't that incredible? And we are called to be an extension of his lights in this world as churches and as Christians? This is an amazing description. So what does John do next? Look at verse 17. It says this, John said, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. That, that's, that's what worship looks like. When you really see Jesus for who he is, see, I just think there's too much of this weird neutrality, this ambiguity about Jesus. We're so familiar with him. We've seen so much and heard so much. We're just really chummy with Jesus, aren't we? We're just BFFs with Jesus. And I just think that we haven't been exposed to the Jesus of the Bible. The glorified Jesus, when you think of him, yes, we love him. Yes, we have affection for him. But we also shudder at the thought of his greatness and his power and the wonder of who he is. We should, when we worship him, come to him as full of love as you possibly could for him and also full of respect and awe. And John falls to his feet. He cannot continue to look even at the greatness of Jesus. But what happens next is a real game changer. It's where we're going to land the plane of the journey series because John is almost terrified with what he sees. It's, wonder, it's, it's so wonderful he can't contain it. He falls on the ground. But what Jesus does next is he reminds John and all of us that in all of his power and all of his glory, he's still Jesus of Nazareth too. And he still loves us. He's not aloof in his power. Have you ever known someone who you knew maybe as a kid or at a stage of life and then they changed? Maybe they became very successful or very famous or they got a lot of money or they got a lot of power. And the next time you saw them, they were just different. The connection wasn't there anymore. It just wasn't the same. That could have been the case between Jesus and John. If anyone has any reason to be aloof and separate from those who are under him is Jesus. But that is not what we're going to see. Let's take a look at how Jesus approaches and treats John. So let's look at verse 17. It says this again. John falls like he's dead at the feet of Jesus. But Jesus laid his right hand on me and he said to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead and behold. I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches or the leaders and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now it's interesting to me that first of all Jesus touches John. In all of his glory, he hasn't lost his touch. In all of that power and glory, he's still among us and with us. And that was always the thing about Jesus. And it's like he looks different now than, than the Jesus that John walked around the earth with. He, he definitely looks different than the Jesus that was crucified. He is in all of this wonder and power and glory. And yet he still touches John. And he still touches us. And he still shows up on our dark, craggy islands of darkness in our lives as well. He, he shows up most brilliantly often with the darkest backdrop in our lives. When it gets dark, look for Jesus. 
And He calls us to be like Him, to shine our lights in the world around us. That is our calling as Christians. As we come to the end of this journey series, we are not to just hide what we've been given in Jesus. We are to shine and shine brightly. And like Jesus, we shine most brilliantly upon the backdrop of the greatest darkness. So our current situation in this world where we are is an opportunity, not just an obstacle, for us to shine like brilliant lights for Christ. But there's something that Jesus tells John that I think He would say to us at the end of the Journey series this summer. He says this, Do not be afraid. Let me tell you now as we close why we should not be afraid. So the most repeated phrase in the New Testament is some form of do not fear. And even here in Revelation, Jesus in all of His glory puts His hand on John and says, Hey, don't be afraid. I know you're in a dark place. The Isle of Patmos is bad. And you're about to see some stuff about the future that's going to scare you to death. But I don't want you to be afraid. You can trust me. And he reminds him of why. The reason John and us should not be afraid is because of who Jesus is. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He doesn't tell him, you'll be fine or any of that. No, he says, it's because of who I am that you don't have to be afraid. Jesus doesn't want us to live in fear. As we come to the end of the journey series, listen, my friends, don't live in fear. Let me tell you, fear, unless it's the fear of God, which we should have, we should fear God but not fear anything else. And fear can be very damaging. And I'll tell you, I've experienced this, experienced this in my own life. So a few years back, we bought a boat, my family and I, an older used boat. We're going to have some fun with it. But what I found, and I still experience this, and I still am not fully over it, is that for some reason, I, I operate a boat with an element of fear. Because I've got my whole family on the boat, and I'm in charge, and I feel this, this need, and, and I should, to protect my family. Well, water is fluid. The, the, a boat doesn't act like a car. And so you can't just stop it on a dime. And, and there's other boats all around. And I'm not sure if they're really watching what they need to do. And you hear of accidents and all that. And what I found when I take my family out is that fear grips me often on our boat. And you know what it's done for me? I, I was talking to my wife about this recently. I'm still not to the point where I really enjoy boating yet. And I hope I get over it. But I'll tell you why. The heart of it is fear. And, and the way fear grips me while we are boating does the same thing in our lives in gentleness why Jesus says to not fear and to trust Him. And let me tell you what fear did for me with the boat. Uh, I still don't enjoy it so much. So fear robs me of joy. And fear will rob you in your Christian life of joy as well. Fear robs us of joy. Let me tell you what else it does. Fear creates anxiety. Fear creates anxiety. I realize I become anxious on the boat. I'm snappy. I'm more, uh, I'm more agitated. And it, it, it makes me become a different person when I'm boating because I'm, I'm, I'm walking in fear. So not only do I not have the joy I should have, but I begin to act in a way that I wouldn't normally act, in an anxious and sometimes even angry way. Let me tell you something else fear will do if you're not careful. It's done it for me. I don't take my boat out as much as I should. You want to know why? Because fear in a way has paralyzed me. Fear will lead to paralysis. It's made me just not even want to go at all because of the results. Because I just can't enjoy it the way I should. Fear will do that to you in life as well. It'll keep you from, from stepping out. It'll keep you from trusting God. It'll keep you from making the decision, making the phone call. It'll, it'll keep you from taking your next steps. Fear will paralyze you. But finally, and maybe most importantly, fear displays a lack of trust. 
And God wants you to trust Him. That's why Jesus said to John, I don't want you to be afraid because you know me. And you should trust me that I got this. Don't let fear run your life. What we get here is we get a description, our last day of the journey series. We get a glorious description of the real Jesus. And in all of His glory and wonder, He's still with us, among us. And He still wants us, no matter how dark this world gets, to shine our lights. And if He's got one thing to say to us as He's among us, He'll say it over and over again with a glorious nail-scarred hand on our shoulder. Do not be afraid. Hey, listen, thank you for joining us for the Journeys series. We put an end to the Journey series, but our journeys, you, me, ours, it's only beginning. So my invitation to you today is to step into the Airstream trailer of God Himself to take the adventure. If you don't know Him, believe upon Him. It's the greatest life you could ever imagine. If you know Him, then stop living in fear and live for Him and be a light in the darkness like a campfire on a mountainside on the darkest of nights. Let your light shine. Let the sparks and embers come to life. Let the world around you see who Jesus is through you. Thank you for taking the journey with us this summer from Genesis to Revelation. Thank you for being with us for the Journey Series. God bless you guys.